from deep inside your audio device of choice. Well, hello, everybody. Gee, I've never started the show that way before. Seems so jolly. That came out of me? Uh, I did do some research this week. I do my own research a lot of the time. A lot of the time I depend on the desks. But I did this, and uh, I owe you. No, no, don't. No money involved. I owe you and the uh, the country of Saudi Arabia uh, uh, an apology. Not ashamed. To say, well, I was ashamed to say it. That's why I went uh, uh, apology. They don't have fifteen thousand princes. Princes there. They have fifteen thousand royals. They have fifteen thousand members of the royal family, of which four thousand are princes. Still a lot of princes, but you know what I'm saying. So in the future, that'll be why that feature has uh, evolved, as we like to say, when we don't, don't want to admit we changed something. We humans, now, ladies and gentlemen, this should be uh, a thing on, you know, an animated thing on public television, like Where's Waldo, except not banned in any libraries. Where are the microplastics this week? Every week we seem to, uh, we humans, seem to get reports of a new hard-to-believe location where microplastics are found. And this week, deep underground in the water streams in the United Kingdom. Who would have guessed? Invisible microplastics have been found invisible now. See, this is why. They're hard. Well, of course they are invisible. They're micro. They've been found around 400 feet underground in U.K. water streams. That's according to the results of a citizen science project conducted by wild swimmers. It's not what you think. They, they don't live in cages. More than 100 outdoor swimmers in the U.K. became water loggers, collecting water samples from their favorite place for a dip using empty glass wine bottles, according to the Guardian. Water was then tested. Microplastics were present in every single sample. Ubiquitous, you might say. One of these samples was taken 400 feet underground in a cave in Derbyshire. Rebecca Price, a caver, who collected the samples deep underground, said, quote, the cave, the cave sample was taken from an underground waterfall which filters through natural rock. I'm shocked to find that nano and microfibers were found that deep underground, unquote. She doesn't listen to this show. She wouldn't be shocked. She also collected the samples with the highest number of microplastics, 155 pieces per liter. Okay, you you get to work on that. In the River Neen, Neen, the river Neen in North Hampshire, where she swims frequently. North Hampshire. Um, Northamptonshire. Northamptonshire. However you want to say it. Derbyshire. That's what I meant to say when I said Derbyshire a moment ago. She added the Neen has had very bad reports about its water quality in recent years. These results focus on microplastics and highlight another toxic, silent, contaminated, contaminant, choking, or beautiful river. Unquote. I think she's against the microplastics. I'm just picking that vibe up from her. Laura Owen Sanderson, the founder of the nonprofit We Swim Wild, 
which carried out the sampling, said, quote, we now know that microplastics are infiltrating every aspects, aspect of our lives. We breathe in, drink, and eat plastic particles every day. Mm-mm. Which are your favorites? I like the French ones. Just a little. And little research has been done to establish what risk that poses to public, to human health. This campaign provides a large and unique grassroots data set for the U.K. government. Clear evidence that urgent action is needed now. Unquote. We swim wild. The group is calling for the government to test regularly for microplastics in U.K. rivers. It's going to launch another 12-month study into invisible contaminants in waterways. We here in the United States, we don't need to do that. We know they're there. They let us live. We let them live. Isn't that the way it should be? Hello, welcome to the show. I love to watch the moonlight with arms about you. And right from the start, there's love in my heart. The sunny afternoon light I know wouldn't do. So darling, please don't run out on my heart tonight. I love to watch the moonlight long after the dance. Come over the hill, I get such a thrill with you a March or June night. Is good for romance Let's put our lips together Give romance a chance Love can be so intense I touch your hand and feel my heart grow immense Your lips I adore But that's because I love you just a bit more Than others before A sentimental tune might be thrilling to sing While watching the stars, especially ours Your eyes are filled with moonlight My heart's filled with spring I love to watch the moonlight So to thee I cling So darling, please don't run out on my heart tonight Let's put our lips together, give romance a chance So to thee I cling Love can be so intense I touch your hand and feel my heart grow immense Your lips I adore But that's because I love you just a bit more Than others before A sentimental tune might be thrilling to sing While watching the stars, especially ours Your eyes are filled with moonlight My heart's filled with spring I love to watch the moonlight So to thee I cling Your eyes are filled with moonlight And my heart is filled with spring I love to watch the moonlight So to thee I cling From just near, just this close to the Mississippi River from New Orleans, Louisiana, I'm Harry Sher, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now... He's not a general. 
almost forgot. And it's and it's so easy to remember. Ladies and gentlemen, in one doomsday scenario, rocket attacks on the nuclear waste stored at the San Onofre Nuclear Generating Station on the shores of the Pacific Ocean in Orange County, California, send plumes of dangerous radiation skyward. This is a fantasy conjured up by the Orange County Register. It says critics in Southern California spend a lot of time worrying about the safety of the 3.6 million pounds, is all, spent fuel, entombed on the bluff above the Pacific. The U.S. Government Accountability Office, though, kind of the Inspector General for the Congress, fixes its gaze on more mundane scenarios involving much smaller amounts of nuclear material routinely used by businesses, hospitals, and universities. Quote, the risks of an attack using a dirty bomb, why you dirty bomb, a weapon that combines a conventional explosive like dynamite with radioactive material, are increasing, and the cost could be devastating, said the GAO. For example, weaknesses in Nuclear Regulatory Commission licensing for radioactive materials make it too easy for bad actors to obtain them. Why is it always the actors who are to blame? Why not the bad writers or the bad cinematographers? And NRC security requirements don't account for the potentially devastating effects of a dirty bomb, such as billions of dollars in cleanup costs and deaths from chaotic evacuations. That's also quoting the GAO. More than 2,000 nuclear materials events, including lost or stolen uh, radioactive material, radiation overexposures, leaks, and more were reported by the NRC between 2010 and 2019, the GAO found. uh, 2,000 events, such events. For example, in, in April three years ago, Three years ago, right now, an Arizona technician was arrested after stealing three radioactive devices from his workplace. According to a court filing, he intended to release the radioactive materials at a shopping mall. He was stopped before he could do that. An an accident at the University of Washington, also three years ago, involving a small amount of material required cleanup and other costs of $150 million for one building alone, according to the GAO report. In 2016, the GAO created a fake company to get a license for radioactive materials. GAO altered the license and used it to obtain commitments to acquire a dangerous quantity of material. Quote, the number of incidents of thefts, lost shipments, and careless mishandling are outrageously large, says the Director of Nuclear Power Safety for the Union of Concerned Scientists. That's a nonprofit. Nuke Watchdog, the NRC's lax requirements, he says, fall short of best practices. <laughs> that is, that's a painful slap on the wrist, that is. Short of best practices. Security is an increasingly acute issue with all the nuclear material used in many medical and industrial settings throughout the nation. That's a uh, point made by the GAO in its report. In 2018, the GAO reported that officials at U.S. airports had not verified <laughs> verified the legitimacy of all licenses for imported radioactive materials. GAO 
has repeatedly found potential security weaknesses at medical and industrial locations storing such materials in the U.S., it said. For example, in 2014, J.O. reported that an individual given unescorted access to high-risk radioactive materials, even though he had two convictions for terroristic threat. Furthermore, small quantities of radioactive materials located within the same facility are not subject to enhanced security requirements that the total amount would be required to meet per the GAO. The uh, NRC, in response, says, this is a summary of GAO's work over, GAO's work over the last few years, not presenting any new findings. GAO has issued several recommendations over the years related to security of radioactive materials. The NRC, says the spokesman, has disagreed with some and has accepted and implemented others. Some remain open, but staff continues to make progress in implementing them. We like progress in implementation, don't we? The GAO, among its recommended several fixes that the NRC has not made, includes considering social economic consequences and deaths from evacuations when determining what security measures should be required for high-risk materials and developing a strategy to use alternative technologies. There are? Really? There are less dangerous ways to get many of the jobs done that also reduce the risk of a dirty bomb, according to the GAO. For example, X-ray provides a technically viable alternative to cesium-137 blood irradiators. According to the GAO report, Congress should work on a national strategy supporting such alternative technologies. They'll be getting right to it, GAO. Don't you worry. Another Inspector General report. Weeks after FBI agents raided the headquarters of the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power. This is a municipally owned power company. This is in 2019. The mayor of Los Angeles touted the creation of an inspector general's office to launch investigations, oversee audits, and bolster the sagging ethics at the nation's largest municipally owned utility. This week, the mayor's office announced the department had hired its first internal watchdog, Sergio Perez, starts in the role May 9th, same day as Russia celebrates winning the uh, winning World War II. So uh, first inspector general, three years after the office was founded. That's an intensive search process, isn't it? The job had remained unfilled even as the agency became mired in a sprawling corruption scandal. It also involves the city attorney's office. This is from the L.A. Times. There's an L.A. Times still? Involves the city attorney's office stemming from a faulty billing system that overcharged tens of thousands of customers. It always works that way. Billing mistakes. They never undercharge us, do they? If you've been undercharged, please call this number. Federal prosecutors say city lawyers helped engineer a class action lawsuit against L.A. over the, the billing problems in attempt to control the terms of the settlement. City lawyers were doing that, you see. 
City, a, a string of plea deals involving former DWP executives and city lawyers have revealed mal, mal, malfeasance sorry, at the highest levels, according to the Times report. Former general manager admitted in court papers to soliciting bribes. Well, they're not going to know you want bribes if you don't. Destroying evidence and otherwise joining in several corrupt schemes at the utility. Asked about the 30 months it took to fill the job, a spokesman for the mayor said the position was, quote, created from scratch and required an exhaustive national search, just like I thought. The pandemic forced many of our departments to press pause on new programs and policies, said the mayor's spokesman. The uh, new guy charge of the inspector uh, general's office said he put his name in for consideration after seeing a public posting for the job adding no one encouraged me to apply acknowledging the scandals that have frayed public trust in the agency Perez promised to bring to the new office a zeal for independence and a desire to get to the roots of issues the goal he says to create the kinds of early warning systems that will help you capture bad acts not bad actors just bad acts before they bloom into full-scale theater companies. No, full-scale disasters. He'll have a staff of 18 to 24 people. That's a range. Auditing the programs and contracts of the DWP, among other, th- uh, other tasks. Many inspector general roles are independent of the agencies they monitor, monitor but Paris will report to the utilities own general manager. There's your independence right there. So that's a municipally owned electric utility. You might, if you were so inclined, make a general conclusion about such utilities. But from the other hand department, Privately owned Pacific Gas and Electric has agreed to pay $55 million to settle claims related to its role in sparking two large wildfires that raged out of control in Northern California in 2019 and 2021. PG&E will pay about $20 million to Sonoma County and will avoid criminal penalties related to the Kincaid fire. Although criminal charges are dismissed, says the Sonoma County DA, The level of punishment and oversight provided by this judgment is greater than could be achieved against a corporation in criminal court. Further, the cost of this oversight, as well as other payments under the judgment, will not be passed on to ratepayers, she says. How's that going to work? Where's PG going to get the money? A loan repaid by ratepayers? PG&E will have to submit to an independent compliance monitor to ensure the utility takes safety precautions including updating its equipment and making sure its transmission wires are far enough away from dry brush and tree branches. The company's also going to pay for investigation costs and other factors. This week, PG&E also released a settlement with district attorneys from five other California counties impacted by the Dixie Fire. It'll be paying approximately $30 million. The attorneys general said the civil judgment allowed more flexibility in demanding changes in their safety practices and in in obtaining rapid restitution to those who lost homes and property. 
while putting the company on essentially a five-year probation. After that, have fun, PG&E. Have fun with the branches. The uh, five, bran- uh, five counties were all blackened by the Dixie Fire last year. Criminal penalties would have been capped at around 400000 Restitution would have been difficult by those affected by the fires. The Kincaid Fire occurred when transmission lines sparked a brush fire near the town of Geyserville, in northern Sonoma County. The 78,000-acre fire destroyed hundreds of buildings and prompted thousands of evacuations as it tore through the landscape due to high winds. The Dixie Fire, the second-largest wildfire in recorded California history, burned nearly one million acres, the most expensive firefight in American history, and it killed one firefighter. It started with an electrical transmission line contacted a tree branch. pg is supposed to provide routine maintenance around its equipment. Just to ensure such occurrences don't happen, several oversight bodies have found the company neglected those duties in order to increase profits. No better reason I can think of. The company says it's committed to restoring its reputation by greatly enhancing wildfire protections throughout its network. As I say, oversight of PG&E will last for five years, after which get that fire extinguisher out one more time. One more time. So, can you, can one draw a conclusion about privately owned public utilities as opposed to municipally owned ones? I can't really, I mean, corruption versus starting wildfires, you know? It's up to you, ladies and gentlemen. And now, news of the land of 4,000 princes, our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. Dateline Riyadh, when Citigroup shut down operations in Saudi Arabia after 9-11, Saudi government officials in, in Riyadh felt betrayed, according to the Wall Street Journal. Three years after the Saudis snubbed Citigroup and Citibank, executives realized they had made a mistake and tried to rebuild their business there. Now, the third biggest U.S. bank has again found favor in the kingdom. As one of the foreign lenders helping Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman modernize its oil-heavy economy. In recent years, cities participated in the country's biggest listings, including the offering of oil giant Aramco. They hired local staff, opened an office, got a license for investment banking. Now it's going to uh, apply for a full banking permit. Could lead to lucrative work with the kingdom's biggest institutions says a senior Saudi official. They paid their dues. They were in the penalty box long enough. They're back in the game. Actually said that. Actually spoke like that. The bank's bumpy road back to favor provides a glimpse into the business environment in this opaque G20 country, how it's changing under Prince Mohammed. 
Saudi Arabia has struggled to attract foreign investment. The prince has turned to the financial services industry to inject capital into his economy. For city, says the Wall Street Journal, Saudi Arabia represents a hot market. Hot. (laughs) And it represents something hot for somebody else. That is to say, Jared Kushner. Six months after leaving the White House, he secured a $2 billion investment from a fund led by Crown Prince bin Salman, despite objections from the fund's advisors about the merits of the deal, according to the New York Times. A panel that screens investments for the main Saudi sovereign wealth fund cited concerns about the proposed deal with Kushner's newly formed private equity firm, Affinity Partners. According to previously undisclosed documents, the objections include, quote, the ex- inexperience of the affinity fund management, unquote, the possibility that the kingdom would be responsible for the bulk of the investment and the risk, unquote, as well as due diligence on the fledgling fund's operations. This is Jared Kushner's private equity fund. The operations, the sorry, the due diligence found the firm's operations, quote, unsatisfactory in all aspects. Another objection, a proposed asset management fee that, quote, seems excessive. This is, uh, this is this Jared doing all this. And, quote, public relations risks from Kushner's prior role as a senior advisor to his father-in-law, the former guy. This is all according to minutes of the fund advisors meeting last June. Days later, the full board of the public investment fund, led by Prince Bin Salman, overruled that panel. Ethics experts told the New York Times such a deal creates the appearance of potential payback for Kushner's actions in the White House, or a bid for future favor if the former guy seeks and wins another term occupying a certain house. The uh, Saudi fund agreed to invest twice as much and on more generous terms with Kushner than it did at about the same time with former Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin. He's also starting a new fund. It's all the rage. Although Mnuchin did have a record as a successful investor before entering government. A spokesman for Kushner's firm said of its relationship with the Saudi fund, Affinity, like many other top investment firms, is proud to have other leading organizations as well as the uh, fund of the Saudis that have careful screening criteria as investments. At this point, Kushner's venture depends primarily on the Saudi money. He planned to raise up to $7 billion in all, according to a document prepared last summer for the Saudi funds board, but so far he appears to have signed up few, if any, other major investors. It's the Saudis, babe. And moonlight It's so easy when you're in love 
When you have someone to cling to When your heart is not your own Wishing you were here. Wishing you were here. Yeah, yeah, From New Orleans, this is Le Show, and now... This week... No, now... that we shouldn't worry about the problem of nuclear waste, the stuff that's left over after fission has... <laughs> we've gone fishing uh, to create electricity for our needs. Our needs, I say. Uh, we've been told that uh, the waste problem is either solved or on its way to being solved. 
And um, one of the main ways to do it, uh, at least at the Hanford nuclear plant where we uh, built some bombs time back, is vitrification. I think that's the name of it. Anyway, it's turning the waste into benign glass. That is to say glass that isn't radioactive. That uh, is supposed to start that process at Hanford in 2023. An internal federal document now says the prep process for that work will produce toxic vapors from a substance called acetronitrile. Those vapors would be, since they're toxic, unsafe for workers and people and animals that live nearby. Plants, you're good. In fact, that complication has not been studied, according to a U.S. Department of Energy report from last year. This year, the Washington State Department of Ecology sent a message to the Department of Energy asking for answers on this issue. After the state agency received a letter on March 1st from a watchdog organization, Hanford Challenge, they obtained the internal document that talks about acetonitrile. State has not received a, a reply from the DOE. DOE's Hanford headquarters declined to provide anyone to discuss the matter with a local news agency. A spokesperson wrote in an email that the issue had been resolved but didn't provide any details. The DOE and its major contractor, which designed the glassification equipment, said the public can ask questions about this matter at a May 10th public hearing related to permits for acetonitrile-related equipment at the glassification plant. Neither the federal government nor its contractor would elaborate on the internal memo that raised concerns about acetonitrile. It's going to be used to retreat the nuclear waste before it's turned into glass logs. Acetonitrile exists in liquid and vapor forms. Ask for the vapor next time. It's easily ignited by heat, sparks, or flames. Much like a Tesla battery. No, no, no. I, when ignited, it gives off hydrogen cyanide fumes and potentially flammable vapors. Short-term effects from exposure can range from eye, nose, and lung irritation to heart, irreg- heart irregularities and death. Long-term exposure could enlarge the thyroid gland and damage the liver, lungs, kidneys, and the central nervous system. I'd go for the long-term. Me, I know it's, it sounds bad, but it's better than... All right. News of our friend the Adam. It's solved. Come on, it's solved. Um, now, ladies and gentlemen... We have been, you know what happens when there's a big news story. This, I think, really started with the first Gulf War in the early 90s. CNN was only a decade old, and they threw everything into covering the first Gulf War, including Wolf Blitzer. They threw him into it. Um, And they noticed their ratings went up as opposed to normally when they just do a potpourri of the day's news, Paul Harvey used to say. And ever since, they have looked, as have other news organizations, especially in television, for the big story. Um, Jeff Zucker, who used to run CNN, was kind of religious about looking for the big story. 
You may remember the one with the cruise ship and people trapped on it for three weeks. That's all you would see on CNN at that time. And that's all by way of saying you may have been missing other news recently, uh, among which I think the uh, Jared Kushner Saudi Arabia thing would count, as would the decisions by both Jared Kushner and his wife, Ivanka Trump, to testify before the the committee investigating the January 6th riot at the Capitol. Yes, that happened. Happened the last few days. Both Kushner and Trump, Ivanka, willingly showed up to testify before the committee. There have been zero leaks as to what either of them told the committee or, for that matter, why they decided to cooperate. And similarly, there have been zero leaks about reaction to their decisions to do that by their relative, the former guy. Until now. This week, for the first time, the walls are closing in with no help from the architects. And for the chief executive turned wannabe chief executive, the trouble, like everything else, starts at home. Welcome to the Mara Prentice. Jared. Hey, uh, Mr. Dad President. Uh, thanks for taking the time to let me... Never a problem making time for almost blood relatives who decide to testify against me. I'd ask you to sit down, but you'd probably tell the January 6th committee about the chairs. <laughs> you don't have to worry about that, sir. As a matter of fact, that's why I flew down here, was just to put your mind at ease about my testimony. Hey, Jared. Want to put my mind at ease? Well, sure. Go back a few days and erase the tape where you go spend eight hours with the witch hunters. That's the kind of ease my mind likes, kiddo. That's Trump ease. <laughs> Sir, you know me better than that. I know you as the guy who used me to get close enough to the Saudis to get a couple of billion off them. Gotta hand it to you. I didn't think you were that smart. You want to know what I told the committee? Actually, I want to know what you told the Saudis. The committee isn't going to give you two billion. <laughs> like, what'd you tell the Saudis about that horrible building, 666 Fifth Avenue? I told them I was smart enough to unload it on the next sucker. Who was smart enough to change the address to 660. Schmuck, why didn't you think of that? Uh, well, you think tourists wanted to come to New York and shop in a retail arcade under the sign of the freaking beast? I, I kept trying to change the name of the building, but... But... Your people wouldn't let me. My people? Mm -hmm. What did they have to do with anything? What did you want to change the name to? Trump? Yeah. It does have a certain ring to it. Listen, if the guy who's stooping my daughter is also screwing me on Capitol Hill, I think I'm at least entitled to know about it. Oh, you stroll in here like Mark Zuckerberg's dumber brother and think I'm going to fall for it? I may have been born last night, but I wasn't born yesterday. Sir, you can relax. Are you kidding? You haven't spent enough time around you here? You can relax about my testimony. I, 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 I can't share it with you. Oh, great. Now the witch hunt goes secret. But I can say this. If I had told them the truth, mm -hmm. it sure wouldn't have taken me eight hours. Okay, kid. 
That makes sense to me. I can stay for a while? No. But next time you can sit. Hey, Daddy. Hmm? Sorry to interrupt your golf game. Oh, sweetie. Always glad to take a break from my favorite thing to do in the whole freaking world. To see my lovely apprentice witch hunter. Huh? You don't think I... I mean, you know I wouldn't... I mean... Huh? Look, Ivanka, hmm? this doesn't mean I fantasize about screwing you any less than usual, but Jesus, did Jared bully you into talking to the committee? Or did the Saudis pay you to do it, too? Daddy, you've got to calm down before Honey, you... even Dr. Oz says I'm in excellent health, and what does he know? I know, but my people told me to go down to the committee. It would be over in a few hours, while if I didn't go, it would be an endless news story like Steve Bannon. Mm -hmm. My dear, sweet, innocent daughter, <laughs> there's never a better time to stiff the committee than now. With all the Ukraine stuff filling the news, you'd be lucky to get an and finally story if you went down and told the committee what the Ukrainians told the boat. Next time you want to do what your people tell you, remember one thing. I'm your people, right? <laughs> well, you're, you're so busy and... Never too busy to take time from golf, right? I guess so. New team, new tasks, same mission. We're going to make Stiffing the Witch Hunt great again. Now, the beach is his boardroom. The Myra Apprentice. It's never too early for a comeback. It's a smart world after all. It's a smart world after all. It's a smart world after all. It's a smart, smart world. Well, we all think we know that the mic is always on in terms of public figures appearing on television, having a mic attached to them, saying something untoward, and then realizing they have a mic attached to them. But it's worse than that. According to an expert in online privacy, assistant professor at the University of Wisconsin, Kasim Fawaz, He tried out many different video conferencing applications on major operating systems, your iOS, your Android, your Windows, and your Mac. He was checking to see if the apps accessed the microphone when it was muted. Quote, it turns out in the vast majority of cases when you mute yourself, these apps do not give up access to the microphone. When you're muted, people don't expect these apps to collect data, he says. He and an associate colleagues at Uni Loyola University of Chicago conducted a more formal investigation of just what happens when video conferencing software microphones are muted. They're presenting their results at a uh, symposium in July. The team concluded, uh, sorry, conducted a user study asking 223 video conferencing app users how they understand the mute button, how they think it should handle audio data. When the participants were split, they were, about whether they thought the chat applications were accessing their microphones when muted, though most believed the app should not 
be able to collect data while on mute. In the second part of the study, the team investigated the actual behavior of the mute button on many popular apps, determining what kind of data is collected, whether it could reveal personal, personal information. They found that all the apps they tested occasionally gather raw audio data while mute is activated. One popular app gathers information and delivers data to its server at the same rate regardless of whether the microphone is muted or not. To mute or not to mute, the researchers then decided to see if they could use data collected on mute from that app to infer the types of activities taking place in the background. They used uh, audio from YouTube videos representing six common background activities, cooking, eating, playing music, typing, and cleaning. They uh, applied that to the type of packets the app was sending. They could identify the background activity with an average of 82% accuracy. Whether or not the data is being accessed or used, the findings do raise privacy concerns. Quote, with a camera you can turn it off or even put your hand over it. No matter what you do, no one can see you, says Fawaz. I don't think that exists for microphones. Turning off a microphone is possible in most device operating systems, but it usually means navigating through several menus. This team suggests the solution might lie in developing easily accessible software switches or hardware switches. Imagine that. That allows users to manually enable and disable their microphones. You might call it an on-off switch. Think of that. Ladies and gentlemen, um, It is time now for a little thing we here at the Le Chaudome like to call the Apologies of the Week. We're so sorry. Well, let's start with Boris Johnson. He's apologized after being fined for breaking COVID lockdown rules, rules imposed by his very own government. He said he accepted in full sincerity that people had the right to expect better. I guess about him. When asked if he would resign, Johnson said he would go on and deliver his mandate to stay. He's being fined, as is the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Police have uh, issued more than 50 fines to people who participated in gatherings at Johnson's offices and residence during these lockdown periods. Lawmakers in his own conservative party had called for him to quit amid plummeting trust and popularity for the government. But... Um, then the Ukraine thing came up. One of the parties, a birthday celebration for Johnson himself, took place during the first COVID lockdown in June 2000 at a time when social gatherings indoors were banned. He had denied any wrongdoing until the police issued their fine notices. Or their fine notices. Deadline Cincinnati 
Cincinnati Reds president Phil Castellini apologized to fans this week after comments he made earlier in the day on the radio in a wide-ranging interview before the home opener against the Cleveland Guardians at Great American Ballpark. Castellini was asked about fans frustrated by the team's cost-cutting moves in the offseason. Well, where are you going to go? He said, let's start there. I mean, sell the team to who? That's the other thing. You want to have this debate? If you want to look at what would you do with this team to have it be more profitable, make more money, compete more in the current economic system that the game exists in, it'll be to pick it up and move it somewhere else. And so be careful what you ask for. I think we're doing the best we can with the resources we have. We're no more pleased with the results than the fans. I'm not sitting here. Anybody should be happy. He said. After the Reds lost to the Guardians, the Reds released his statement of apology. I apologize to Reds fans and regret the comments I made earlier today. We love this city. We love this team. We love our fans. I understand how our fans feel. And I am sorry. Secretary of State Tony Blinken apologized to uh, the... uh, No, a different crown prince. This is one in Abu Dhabi. Mohammed bin Zayed for the U.S. response to January's Houthi attacks against the UAE, according to two sources who told Axios. The Emirates were disappointed by what they saw as a weak and slow U.S. response to the attacks, while the Biden administration was subsequently disappointed by the Emirati response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Blinken's apology was designed to help ease those tensions. I'm sorry, work with us. In the midst of the Charlotte Hornets playing game loss to the Atlanta Hawks this week, frustration seemed to get the best of player Miles Bridges. Middle of the fourth quarter, he argued against a goaltending call after he believed he cleanly blocked a layup. Videotape proved he was wrong. He was hot enough to immediately get hit with a technical foul, and when he continued arguing, he was hit with a second He appeared to keep arguing before being directed to the back by various players and coaches, and then he seemed to react to a fan mocking him in response threw his mouthpiece into the crowd where it appeared to hit a young Hawks fan in the face. He'll be fined for this in some way. One would expect. Maybe banned for 10 years from attending the Oscars. He's already taken to social media to apologize for the incident tweeting his reaction, unacceptable. He'd like to get in contact with the fan. He addressed it after the game and expressed remorse. Better than plain old Morse. Deadline The Hague, Dutch bank ABN AMRO apologized this week for historic links to the slave trade in the 18th and 19th centuries, including the involvement of one of the bank's predecessor institutions in, quote, day-to-day business, unquote, of plantations. The bank is the latest institution to apologize for historic ties to slavery. Following the Bank of England 2020 in the municipality of Amsterdam last year. ABN AMRO said in a statement, research it commissioned into its history and that of other banks that were its direct predecessors uncovered a dark side, according to the Associated Press. The research indicated that its predecessor predecessor Hope and Company, played a pivotal role in the international slave economy of the 18th century. Not only were slavery-related operations a source of much Hope and Company profits, the firm was actively involved in the day-to-day business 
of plantations in the Caribbean on Dutch colonies. The bank has a proud history, said the president, quote, but we also must recognize that it has a darker side as well. The bank apologizes for the past actions and activities of these predecessors and for the pain and suffering that they caused. Sam Elliott has apologized for comments he made last month about the film The Power of the Dog on Mark Marin's podcast. I told the podcaster I thought Jane Campion was a brilliant director. I want to apologize to the cast of The Power of the Dog. Brilliant actors all, he said. And in particular, Benedict Cumberbatch. I can only say that I'm sorry, and I am. I am. (laughs) He said... um, as part of his apology, don't do a podcast with the call letters WTF. I wasn't very articulate about it. I didn't articulate it very well. What he actually articulated was that he thought the film was a piece of poop. And that wasn't the language that he spoke. The act, Speaking of actors, the actor Cuba Gooding Jr., accused by more than 20, wi- 20 women of groping or forcibly kissing them in encounters that dated back more than two decades, pleaded guilty in Manhattan this week to one count of forcible touching, a misdemeanor, charged that he had forcibly kissed a woman in a nightclub in Manhattan in 2018. Isn't that what Manhattan is about? Under terms of the plea, Gooding must continue for six more months in alcohol and behavior modification treatment. He's been undergoing that since 2019, and he must have no new arrests. If he... Uh, fulfills the terms, he can then withdraw the plea and plea to a lesser charge harassment, just a violation. If he doesn't comply with the terms of his deal, the misdemeanor guilty plea would stand. He could face up to one year in jail. In a hearing this week, he was asked if the change, a charge to which he was pleading guilty was true. Yes, Your Honor, he said, I kissed the waitress on her lips. I apologize for ever making anybody feel inappropriately touched. He said he was a celebrity and did not want people he met to feel slighted. He's also changing his last name from Gooding to Batting. Dayline Columbus, Ohio, ESPN's Adam Schefter apologized this week for an insensitive tweet about the death of a former Ohio State quarterback, Dwayne Haskins. Haskins died while being struck by a dump truck while walking on a South Florida highway. In his original tweet announcing Haskins' death, Schefter said Dwayne Haskins, a standout at Ohio State before struggling to catch on with Washington and Pittsburgh, died this morning when he got hit by a car in South Florida, per his agent. The tweet received immediate criticism, including from a former Buckeye. He addressed the tweet on the Adam Schefter podcast. It was insensitive. It was a mistake, and I can assure you it is not my intention. I wish I could have that tweet back. The focus should have been on Dwayne, who he was as a person, a husband, a friend. Ladies and gentlemen, I present for your consideration the apologies of the week. And uh, finally, in the news portion of our program, new research documents For the first time, the pollution of public water supplies caused by shale gas development, known as fracking, and its negative impact on infant health. These findings call for closer environmental regulation of the industry. This is according to the University of uh, Rochester Medical 
center newsroom. Levels of chemicals found in drinking water often fall below regulatory thresholds. In this study, we provide evidence that public drinking water quality has been compromised by shale gas development. As the leader of the study, our findings indicate that drilling near an infant's public water source yields poorer birth outcomes and more fracking-related contaminants in public drinking water. The paper appears in the Journal of Health Economics. The uh, previous research by the leader was the first to link shale gas development to drinking water quality. It has examined the association between shale gas development and reproductive health and the subsequent impact on later educational attainment, higher risk of childhood asthma, higher risk of heart attacks, and opioid deaths. What the frack? Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes this edition of the show. Back next week, same time on these same radio stations and on the audio device of your choice at your time. And it'll be just like getting $2 billion from the Saudis for doing nothing if you'd agree to join with me then. All righty. Thank you very much. Uh huh. A tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego and Hawaii desks. And to Pam Halstead, and to um, Thomas Walsh, and to the San Diego desk for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, and the playlist of the music you hear on this program, all at harryshear.com. And I'm on Twitter, so far, at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from New Orleans, happy Easter, happy Passover, happy nothing else.